Do you want to win some money? I bet you do. Do you care about civil affairs? Yes, I know for sure. Because you're listening to the show. Check out the call for issue papers. The new theme is campaigning and civil affairs. Some questions to answer include, how can CA contribute to campaigning? Beyond policy, what changes can better operationalize and integrate CA's role in campaigning? How would CA even measure progress in campaigning? And how would a full concept of the CA role in campaigning apply to conflict prevention, security cooperation, irregular, or gray zone warfare? So put that thinking cap on and submit your papers by Friday, 15 September. For more details, visit civilfairsassoc.org. Welcome to the WNCA Podcast. This is your host, Jack Gaines. WNCA is a product of the Civil Affairs Association and brings in people who are current or former military, diplomats, development officers, and field agents to discuss their experiences on ground with the partner nation's people and leadership. Our goal is to inspire anyone interested in working the last three feet of foreign relations. To contact the show, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com or look us up on the Civil Affairs Association website at www.civilaffairsassoc.org. I'll have those in the show notes. And a quick shout out to LC38 Brand. They're offering 10% off for 1CA podcast fans. The promo code is 1CA10. LC38 Brand has a little bit of everything for the international adventurer. So check out their website at lc38brand.com. I'll have the promo code and the address in the show notes. Hello? Richard Messick? Yes. Hey, it's Jack Gaines. How are you doing? Well, good. How are you? Good. Do you feel like interviewing today? Sure. Today we welcome Richard Messick, who served 14 years with the World Bank advising on the rule of law and anti-corruption issues. Richard now leads the Messick Group out of D.C. and recently traveled with UNODC to Southeast Asia to advise on anti-corruption and governance. He also traveled to Ukraine to advise the Ministry of Infrastructure on reconstruction. There's a lot to unpack in this episode, and we meander a little bit, but I think you're going to enjoy the discussion. So let's get started. So your work with UNODC, that was in Vietnam, right? Or was that Laos? Well, over the last few years, it's been in Cambodia, Laos, Thailand, and Vietnam. Okay. Well, the big question to me is, where's the best food? Because my wife thinks Cambodia has got the, the freshest, strongest flavors. What do you think? Oh, you know, the, the Thais <laughs> think they are the gourmets equal to any country in the world. You know, right. I'll tell you, I've had some great food in Laos and certainly quite cheap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what I find with Thai food is it's become international. Well, right. So it's it's not the same strong Thai food that you'd get back in the day, unless you go to some of those little backstreet cafes, but then they're selling you like kidney and things like that. <laughs> well, you know, they can be pretty serious over there when it comes to their spice levels. Mm-hmm. There's no question about that. Oh yeah. They, they seriously get me with their spice levels, but I love it. <laughs> I love the ride. You know, you get a nice Chong beer and with a little rice and some food on top, you know, and it's just, oh, it's wonderful. Well, I was in Vonnegut in Laos and before I went, one of my colleagues reminded me that it had been the capital 
colonial empire for a while in the 1890s. And oh, and the bread's really good. Well, everywhere I went, the bread was really good. We were in a the only hotel in the city that had any kind of conference right. room. There wasn't much of a conference room. There wasn't much of a hotel, and the bread was really good. <laughs> I went out to some little place. I mean, this is a small town, and it was small, ninety thousand people. Uh, you know, on the Mekong River, and. Uh, there was a place that was just looked like a Paris bistro and food was as good as a Paris bistro. And the only difference was it was only 20 bucks. Oh, wow. And it's tough to make bread in the tropics. <laughs> I don't know how they did it. But I don't know how they do it either. Because <laughs> every time I've gone to, like when I went to Rwanda, the bread was, mm-hmm. it was bread. <laughs> but they have a hard time getting it to rise mm-hmm. because of the heat. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. that was uh, an interesting thing. So, all right, so go to Laos for the good bread. Go to Savannah Kit. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. So, beyond eating your way across Laos, what else were you doing at for UNODC? I um, spent a week in Vientiane training the staff of the State Institution Authority mm-hmm. and a week in Savannah Kit training staff from the the savannah cat province and people from the neighboring provinces on detecting and identifying corruption are they getting corruption influences in the region well it's hard to say i mean you know these lines that are drawn on a map showing where the state's boundaries are you know those are only 20th century (laughs) <laughs> things right but the people in the cultures there don't really respect them is that well <laughs> or historically there's been so much back and forth before the lines were firmly drawn and i mean the last time i was in laos or maybe the second to last time before the pandemic the central government was doing all it could to stop illegal logging right because what was happening was it was the regional governments that were deeply involved in the export uh, through Vietnam, etc., and quite significant environmental impact, as well as denying the central government the revenue. Right. They were collecting a revenue for themselves, bypassing mm-hmm. tax right. taxation. Right. Uh, yeah. So were they able to better centralize their um, their administration? At the moment, the State Inspection Authority, which is kind of like a GAO for a for Laos. Sure. They're not financial auditors so much as, you know, auditing everything else, performance, corruption, etc. Their uh, budget province by province is set by the governor of the province. Oh, okay. Yeah. And if they want to start an in- investigation, they've got to go notify the governor. <laughs> and they were quite complaining about this in the regional uh, meeting I was at, and the mm-hmm. there was a time, and I've just lost a bit of track on it. The SIA was created like the a counterpart in China. It was a combination of the party discipline agency and a government agency. Okay, and they melded the two together, and they called it SIAA. State Inspection and Anti-Corruption Authority. Right. Then a senior member of the party 
was the head of it. Hmm. Then that itself was a pretty significant sign. I don't know who's currently the head, although the you know the current president is certainly serious about dealing with corruption. Right, right. And is that what you also do in Thailand and in Cambodia? Right. You train on anti-corruption in those regions. Right. And for countries like this, one of the most important things they can learn is uh, formal and informal means of acquiring evidence from other jurisdictions. Right. Because again, these boundaries uh, that have been drawn in the 20th century, they may stop a policeman in Wow, from crossing the border to Thailand, or, you know, he sure don't stop a crook, <laughs> you know. I mean, I told him the next time one of the friendship bridges, a major source of commerce in, in that area, there's a bridge in Savannah Cat across to Thailand. Mm -hmm. And I said, gee, next time we do this, get the ties on the other side into the meeting too. Right. Because group training across national boundaries is one way to help them build the connections right because there are formal means to go through a bureaucracy to get help but a lot of the help what they call informal right you know if you just know somebody on the other side of the border you can call them up and they'll share with you some stuff and that's really important and if you're a cop investigating a possible money laundry corruption drug running you name it Mm -hmm. You don't just share that information with anybody. You're not just going to call blind somebody in another jurisdiction and say, hey, you know, I'm looking into Mr. X. We think he's a big drug dealer. <laughs> They're all like, know? oh, really? Let me, let me call you right back. <laughs> right. But you'll make that call once you've got to know who this guy is and you feel confident that they're not going to betray your confidence. But I mean, are you saying that DOJ has its own informal network that helps? Everybody's you know, got Well, okay. sure. And it's just these informal networks just take time and effort to develop. For environmental crime, I urge that the countries that border on the Mekong Valley all set up something equivalent to Eurojust. Right. Actually, I was thinking of that. If Interpol actually has helped the border states to build a cross-jurisdictional access so that police can jump from Laos over to Thailand and if they're under hot pursuit. Well, Interpol is a post office. Right. But I figured they'd also be a good intermediary. Sometimes yeah, sometimes no. But in a way, you'd like to put Interpol out of business in the sense of you would like to have such close-knit networks across these borders that Interpol doesn't have it. Because remember, Interpol started when making a phone call was hard as hell. You know, and Interpol could do that for you. Right. And now, of course, you know, everybody can make their own phone calls, send emails. Right. Interpol's one source I tell people, look, you know, if you are pursuing a case and you think the money or the evidence is in the Philippines and you haven't got a clue who to call in the Philippines, one place you might go is Interpol. If you know somebody at Interpol, then you can ask them, hey, do you know somebody in the Philippines I can trust? Right. The place you can go is the UN Office of Drugs and Crime. Right. And actually, I think UNODC can be better because they do enough of this training stuff. You know, you get to know who somebody is if you're in a training session for a week and with them and particularly some of the UNODC people 
where I'm just in and out, they're in there a lot. And for CA soldiers that are operating in those areas or special forces, you think that working with UNODC would be a better choice? Well, it depends. You know, the UNODC people might be new and the UNODC people might have been there 15 years and know everybody. Right. It just depends. That's an interesting point you made about how Europe has cross-border agreements between the countries. You're just. But Asia doesn't have anything like that in that area. Yeah. There are 27 people that have offices in the same building in The Hague, one from each EU member. They are full-time to Eurojust, and they are policemen or prosecutors, and occasionally a judge, assigned from their own country to be there for a three-year rotation. And their job is some prosecutor in Spain right. is looking into something and run across some information, needs something on somebody in Denmark. That prosecutor in Spain calls his full-time person at Eurojust, who, you know, may well know him because, you know, there have been, if they're cops or whatever, mm-hmm. certainly knows who he is and says, hey, I'm trying to track down something about this Danish person. Okay, then the Spanish rapid Eurojust walks across the hall, knocks on the door of the office of the Danish rep, and says, I got a prosecutor in southern Spain needs to know something about this. Can you do this? Or do you have somebody he can call? And bird dogs it until it gets done. Right. On big cases, transnational crime, they will, um, if it's a Spanish-Danish thing, the Spanish rep and the Danish personal arrange for a meeting of the investigators in the two countries. And again, because they know one, the Spanish and the Danish person know one another, and each one of them knows folks in their own country, things go much smoother than a bunch of strangers. Right. The people that were involved at the heart of the car wash investigation in Brazil told me that if it hadn't have been for the Swiss representative to Eurojust, they would have never made those cases. Wow. It was only founded in 2002, so it's fairly new. Right. But one of the Brazilians knew the Swiss rep, and they called her, and she brokered the meetings with all the other uh, Eurojust people and then the people within the countries because she sponsored them in. These are good folks. I know them. Right. She speaks Portuguese. She'd done some MLA stuff in Brazil before. Now, I know that in Africa, they have the African Union, and so they could do an Afrojust. They could. But I don't know if Asia has that equivalent. Not that I know. Right. They're just not that Mm-mm. well tied together as, as a multinational. No. I mean, you have ASEAN, but I don't yeah. think that they are in the right spot. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you think that that helps U.S. foreign policy in the area with them being broke up and individual like that, or is that... Oh, to the extent to which they'd be a more effective counter to transnational crime if they were more closely cooperating. Right. It would be in the U.S. interest to see they more closely cooperate. Right. Are those countries interested in ending cross-border corruption and international illicit trade? Well, you don't say one or you don't say the other. You 
because of course there may be a minister in a government who isn't interested because of his or his family's involvement but at the same time his country's certainly interested in it and they're all probably certainly interested fearful of the growing impact of the gambling drugs people smuggling right the illegal wildlife business that's all wrapped into these things right do they consider china to be a part of that or do they have pretty good relations are they balancing the two how does that work well certainly wow i mean Lao has a love-hate relationship as they all do with china right on this legal stuff you have to cooperate with them because a lot of the capital for investment projects is coming from china therefore there's always substantial for corruption and at the same time of course the malaysians think that joe Lu or joe Lao is hiding in uh, china yeah i, I don't know <laughs> every time i call he never picks up the phone <laughs> yeah. right okay so if there was an enterprising young lawyer that wants to launch a multinational cooperative yeah the norwegian development agency has like an informal network of people mostly from developed countries mostly from africa that they pull together every six months or so to talk about common threats and exchange information and frankly as it started to do a little bit of uh, morale building because a lot of the people were and a lot of people are still under pressure at home for dealing with these big cases right well one thing that john cassara brought up in his interview that i thought was interesting is he used to go around to different countries and talk about money laundering and the countries would they would accept the engagement with the u.s and they would hear his pitch and they then they say well you know, we really don't have any problem with terrorism and money laundering. So, you know, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. You know, happy to have you come by again. And you say, well, you know, consider also trade-based money laundering and how much revenue you're not getting in your taxes and coffers from it. And that was one of his carrots was to have already done an estimate of how much revenue, like the illegal logging, was lost. Mm -hmm. And then say, you know, you're missing about you know, $300,000 or $2 million in revenue because of this illicit trade. Mm -hmm. And that seemed to get their attention. So that might be the way to approach it with countries to say, look, this cross-border stuff, you're missing out on millions of dollars because of it. And maybe we should talk about building a cross-border cooperative organization that overlays all these countries. Might be an interesting way to go about it. Yeah, I mean, there's that out there, but they've known for a while. I just think it's just a heavy lift, and the State Department should commit some sort of every six-month meeting of just the countries in Southeast Asia. Sure. Now, the problem is with the official sponsors is they have to get who the government sends. Right. The Norwegian network, they got who they wanted they work through their embassy in the country and the embassy said well the number one guy really isn't but the number three person that's who we want to yeah. come well and there's your formal to informal networks discussion again yeah 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 yep. so there is a way it seems like it is possible to improve the corruption conditions in the region it is possible okay that's interesting i don't know how i don't know how to implement or build anything like that but it's that's a curious way to go Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> oh wait, maybe the UNODC can set up something. <laughs> you know, that that'd be the perfect thing. But of course, they they live grant to grant. Oh really? They don't have yeah, they, like most UN agencies, they get very little on an annual basis from the UN. Oh wow. Most of their programs, most of their activities, they're out with a tin cup. Okay, so if you set up Asia Just through UNODC, they got to get cut from their arrests. They have to go raise the money. <laughs> right. So if they catch $30 million crossing the border, they get at least a million dollars to keep their program going. And we're going to happen with the UN agency. So, you know, they'd get five years to do it. And at the end of the five years, the donor would have want to do something else or you know the people that funded it moved on and then they just start over from scratch right so you almost have to give birth to it and then have it run as its own separate entity after its grant is done yep oh it's just the, it's a mess this donor funding thing <laughs> yeah it really is when i was talking to global integrity that was one of my complaints is that donors put strings on things and it makes it hard for organizations to focus on their mission and it's it's a part of the market, but it's difficult. It's difficult for people to get things done because of it. And then, as they say, it's a three-year grant, it's a four-year grant, it's whatever, and it runs out. And then, right. you know, maybe they re-up it, maybe they don't. So, let's jump to what do you what have you been up to these days? Uh, well, I was in Ukraine for two weeks. Oh, you want to talk about Ukraine? Oh, it couldn't have been more interesting. I mean, I spent four days training staff of the Ministry of Infrastructure and the State Reconstruction Agency, which is a part of the ministry, on how to prevent corruption in construction projects. And I did that with Hamish Goldie-Scott, the technical advisor to the Infrastructure Transparency Initiative. And um, this is the first time that the people that we trained, they all knew what was going on they just wanted to hear about different ways to prevent it right how far along are they in their preparing for reconstruction oh there's reconstruction going on right now so it's good to hear that they are really focused on reconstruction and getting past the conflict once it's done i had heard comment in the news from i think it was the minister of interior about reconstruction and some of their plans and a friend of mine went to GMU and listen to the ambassador talk about it. And when I asked him about it, it seemed like they had very detailed ideas of what to do. Everything from you know, like adopt a highway programs to major construction projects to even bringing in artists to help beautify these towns. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was impressed because most people, their mind and their vision doesn't get past the conflict. But I'm glad that state and the UN and other agencies are, are looking at it and moving forward. It seems to me there's a lot of high-level planning. People I talk to are right on the ground, and they could use a lot more help. Vice minister in charge of the whole thing wants us to come back, and we'll come back. Right. You know, the, the defense authorization bills creating a special inspector general for the U.S. Of course, the EU proposal of, what, three weeks ago has got its own responsibilities for overseeing EU money. Right. So, and of course, the World Bank allegedly is overseeing its money, and who knows? Well, that's, that's a lot of big organizations. Hopefully, it works out. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we'll see. I don't know if I've told you, but I'm in the Army, and I'm 
I do civil affairs, mm-hmm. which is basically they go out into at-risk areas and they meet with locals, they meet with leaders and figure out what's going on in that area and try to build cooperation between the U.S. government and its allies and partners in that area mm-hmm. so that as regular agencies in the military move in, it's not a shock, it's not a problem. And there are several teams actually prepping to go and help with post-conflict reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, you ever heard of the Monuments Men? That movie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we still got we still have that team. Huh. And they are going to the Smithsonian in August to meet with the gosh, the Minister of Culture from Ukraine. Well, maybe that's why the the, the vice minister I work with in infrastructure said he was coming in August. Okay, he's probably coming to the same event. Well, unfortunately, it's just a horrible time for people to come. I mean, (laughs) you know, you'll have their full attention because there's nothing else going on. (laughs) You can either melt outside or sit inside the Smithsonian and talk to people. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, Rick, this has been great. It's been fun to talk to you. Well, I afraid I wasn't that, you know, on point, but whatever I can do, let me know. Sure, sure. I might actually send you some topics and have you punned in a little bit if you ever want. Okay. Well, let me know. Stay in touch. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you get a chance, please like and subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you're interested in coming on the show or hosting an episode, email us at capodcasting at gmail.com. And thank you again to LC38 Brand for offering 10% off to our listeners. We've been nominated for the People's Choice Awards, and this is a little extra treat for those who made it happen. Again, the code is 1CA10, and the site is lc38brand.com. And now, most importantly, to those currently out in the field, working with a partner nation's people or leadership to forward U.S. relations, thank you all for what you're doing. This is Jack, your host, Stay tuned for more great episodes, 1CA Podcast.